Someone, hello? Anyone? Hello? Anyone? Hello? Hello? I'm Sigourney Weaver. Oh, hi, Sigourney. I, I need your help. Won't you please join us? Oh, great, great, great. As we explore the wonders of the Pacific Ocean and the amazing life it holds within. That was a scene from Finding Dory, and it showed Dory swimming through a kelp forest, and there's sunlight filtering through the kelp, and she's swimming between the blades, and there are these big, tall stalks of greenish-brown kelp rising up above her. So if we ignore the fact that the type of fish that Dory is, a blue tang, probably couldn't survive in a kelp forest, it's a nice picture of what kelp forests might look like from under the water. Wait, wait, wait. Why wouldn't Dory survive in the kelp forest? It's too cold for that type of fish. Hi, I am May. And I'm Erin, and we're juniors at Stanford and Ocean Nerds. Welcome to this episode of Stanford Sidecast. Today, we'll be exploring the topics of marine heat waves and kelp forests so that we'll be aware of the threats to her beloved ecosystems and how to protect them against these threats. Which is why we played a clip from Finding Dory. Right, because parts of Finding Dory take place in a kelp forest, and we love Finding Dory. We do. To help us explore what kelp forests are, we brought in our first guest, and we'll let her introduce herself. My name is Fiorenza Micheli. I'm a marine ecologist at Stanford University based at Hopkins Marine Station, where I'm co-director, and I also co-direct Stanford Center for Ocean Solutions. To start things off, the first question we wanted to ask, just to lay the groundwork for why we're talking about kelp forests, is why are kelp forests important ecosystems? Kelp forests are uh, um, this incredibly diverse and productive marine ecosystem that is distributed along the coastlines of temperate areas around the world. And so the, the macroalgae, the kelps that form the forests, grow very, very quickly. It's an incredibly uh, productive system. And they form this three-dimensional complex structure that provides food and refuges for lots and lots of species. So that it's, you know, it's really important from a diversity standpoint. And also there's really important benefits that kelp forest provides to fisheries, opportunities for recreation and tourism, and also carbon sequestration and coastal protection. Hopkins Marine Station, where Dr. McKelly mentioned she's co-director, is Stanford's Marine Research Station. And it's located in Pacific Grove, California, right at the bottom tip of Monterey Bay which is a region with some really productive kelp forests. How exactly are kelp forests beneficial for humans? One of the most direct benefits is that they support lots of fishery species. Abalonis, urchin, lots of finfish uh, species, sea cucumbers, lots of different species that support fisheries. So in terms of food security, in terms of the coastal economies, they're really important and they support all the species because they're this productive complex systems. So, so they are important in terms of habitat for fishery species. There's also in uh, tourism industry associated with kelp forest, scuba diving, other recreational activities. So there is that benefit in terms of the economic income. It's also really important, for example, in California and other regions around the world where kelp are uh, found. Uh, and then, you know, they're a barrier, they attenuate waves, they mitigate erosion along the coast, 
And so there's also benefits uh, that uh, kind of expand from the habitat itself. Kelp forests sound like a beautiful, majestic ecosystem with a lot of diversity in marine life and benefits for humans. I can't believe we, the Stanford students, have the privilege of even having one in the backyard of Stanford campus at Hopkins Marine Station. However, even though kelp forests are resilient, it sounded like the kelp forests are in danger. Yeah, they're threatened by a few different things, but one of those threats is marine heat waves. I've experienced heat waves on land. Those things are nasty. You have to kick up the fan, sweat ridiculously, and drink an ungodly amount of water to stay hydrated. But marine heat waves? I did not know that was the thing until I did the research for this podcast. If we can understand a little bit about marine heat waves, we can also understand how they are a danger to kelp forest. So we're going to step away from the beautiful kelp forest here for a little bit and first discuss what marine heat waves are with a world-leading expert on marine heat waves from Australia. Hi, I'm Jessica Benthusen. I'm a physical oceanographer at the Australian Institute of Marine Science, and I research the physics of the oceans. That's the ocean currents and temperature and salinity. And I want to know why the ocean currents move the way they do and how they create the conditions that make marine life thrive. First off is what are marine heat waves? Marine heat waves are prolonged, extremely warm water events. So by prolonged, I mean they last greater than five days. And by extremely warm, I mean that the waters are exceeding the 90th percentile. So 90th percentile is based on looking at all the different temperature conditions for that time of year over the over a 20 to 30 year period. And we look at what are the upper range in temperatures that occur. So the 90th percentile was used to characterize those um, extremely warm water temperatures. So you talked about marine heat waves being defined by the length of the warm period and like how warm it is. Are they characterized at all by like how big the mass of warm water is? Yes marine heat waves can cover a vast region of the ocean. I think one of the most famous ones is in the Pacific Ocean, known as the blob. So that looking at the spatial extent of a marine heat wave is also an important characteristic, especially if it encompasses a wide range of different uh, marine environments. So we learned that marine heat waves are when temperature of the ocean water is unusually high for a period of time. What causes the marine heat wave events to occur? There are several different ingredients which can contribute to marine heat waves. So they're primarily down to the air sea heat flux, how heat is entering into the ocean, and the ocean currents, how the currents can transport heat around, and also the depth over which all that heat accumulates. And so by air sea heat flux, what, I'm, what I mean is all the different atmospheric mechanisms that can contribute to that heat entering into the ocean. So for example, if an area usually has some clouds during a time of year, but there's low cloud cover, that can mean there's more heat entering in through shortwave radiation. Or if the winds actually are much weaker, so the the waters are very still, that heat can accumulate into the ocean as well. So there's a number of different ways the atmosphere can contribute 
to a higher air-sea heat flux, which causes warmer waters. All right, so the first ingredient for marine heat waves is air-sea heat flux, which is influenced by factors like cloud cover and wind. Right. With fewer clouds, radiation from the sun increases and it heats up the ocean because you don't have that natural cover. With weaker wind, water is not moving as much. It's like blowing on a cup of hot coffee. If you don't blow on it, it takes forever for the coffee to cool down. Less movement of water means more heat is trapped in the ocean. And also, depending on the direction of the winds, you might have regions where there's upwelling, so colder water from depth bringing up, up to the surface. But if those winds are changing direction or are weaker, that normally occurring upwelling might not occur. So that can also lead to warmer than usual conditions. And also if ocean currents are typically bringing warmer water down in a certain direction and they get stronger than usual, you would find that intense acceleration of heat being brought into regions that might not normally have that heat accumulating there. Okay, and the second ingredient for marine heat waves is changes in the strength of ocean currents. Exactly. With weaker currents, water is not going where it's supposed to go as usual, which can lead to some weird spike in temperature. Okay, great. Just making sure I'm tracking with all this physics information. El Nino is a climate pattern that a lot of people know about. During the El Nino years, we experienced more rain in California as well as warmer ocean temperatures. Since both El Nino and marine heat waves are characterized by ocean water that is warmer than usual, how do marine heat waves differ from El Nino events? That's right. So marine heat waves can occur at any time of the year. So in the summer or even the winter time. Now, what you mentioned, El Nino, so the El Nino Southern Oscillation, that's a very large scale mode of variability that occurs and affects a lot of our waters around the globe. Now, the El Nino Southern Oscillation occurs primarily in the Pacific Ocean. During the El Nino, the trade winds tend to weaken from east to west along the equator, and then we have warmer waters, which tend to shift toward Americas. And so during El Nino, we have an increased risk of marine heat waves. So it is it is different in the sense that uh, these large-scale climate modes of variability can potentially increase or reduce the risk of marine heat waves at a particular location. So it sounds like El Nino is this broader climate pattern that affects places all over the globe, and marine heat waves are generally more localized. But marine heat waves can be made more or less likely in particular regions by El Nino conditions. That's right. Furthermore, Jessica also explained, looking at that long-term trends in sea surface temperature, and we found that over the past century, there has been an, an increase in the frequency and duration of marine heat waves. It makes sense. As the overall temperature of the ocean increases over time due to climate change, more temperature spike in the water will easily be categorized as marine heat waves, which increases frequency and it will be expected that these temperature spikes will consist of higher extreme temperatures, which increases intensity. So just now we learned what marine heat waves are and how they work. So Erin, 
Let's go back to your comment about how Dory wouldn't survive in the kelp forest because it's too cold. What if, just hear me out, what if marine heat waves were to happen in a kelp forest? Do you think Dory could survive then? I'm not sure, maybe, but that would be pretty bad for the rest of the kelp forest. Really? How would it affect the kelp forest? Good question. To learn more about this, let's go back to our conversation with Dr. McKelly, who explained the effect of marine heat waves on kelp forest ecosystems. So marine heat waves uh, lead to anomalous warming of the seawater, but at the same time, these warm waters are also less rich in nutrients. So these warmer, nutrient-poor waters cannot support the tremendous growth of this algae. They need a lot of nutrients to maintain their very high growth rates. And so the kelps die as a result of these two stressors combined. So it sounds like it's an impact on the kelp itself. The kelp is not able to survive in these warmer, more nutrient-poor waters. Are there also impacts on the organisms that are living in the kelp forests from the warmer water? The warmer water affects some organisms directly, organisms that are also close to their thermal tolerance limit, the temperature tolerance limit. And then, of course, indirectly, the whole ecosystem collapses with the loss of uh, its habitat. So there are both direct and indirect effects on other species and major loss of diversity, disruption of food webs, uh, impacts on fisheries. So lots of other effects, both on the natural and human system in coastal areas. Why is it that warmer water has less nutrients? Yes, they, these cold, nutrient-rich waters come up along the coastlines and the California current through upwelling. So winds push surface waters away and they're replaced by these deep, nutrient-rich waters. And so when uh, there's heat waves, uh, the thickness of the water column that is in the surface and it's warmer expands. And so these deep waters tend to be warmer and poor in nutrients. Basically, what is called the thermocline, the area where temperature drops rapidly becomes deeper. And so what the waters that are brought to the surface comes from the surface layer rather than the deeper cold and nutrient-rich waters. So upwelling still occurs, but the characteristics of the water that is upwelled change during these conditions. So just to recap, kelp grows really fast and needs a lot of nutrients to support that growth. And it seems that a lot of these nutrients are brought to the kelp by upwelling, which is this physical process that brings cold nutrient-rich water from the depths to the surface, as Jessica mentioned. Marine heat waves mean that the warm water layer at the surface of the ocean is thicker. So rather than upwelling bringing up the cold nutrient-rich water that kelp needs, it instead brings water that isn't as high as nutrients, and that's bad for the kelp. Makes sense. The fact that kelp forests are really fast growing means that sometimes they can recover from disruptions faster than other ecosystems. Are kelp forests able to recover from marine heat waves? The duration and extent of this recent heat wave that started in 2015 with the warm blob condition, the development of this warm water patch in the north of the Pacific that then affected the entire coast, followed by an extreme El Nino event. So resulted in several years of anomalously warm conditions. And so now the ecosystems in places 
are not exhibiting the recovery that we've seen in the past, in part because uh, those impact from warming combined with other pressures, for example, uh, the proliferation of urchins that graze kelp, that eat kelp, and are preventing its recovery. And so this is what uh, scientists in California have called the perfect storm of having multiple stressors overlapping and uh, the cumulative impact of all of these stressors affecting the kelp to an extent that we haven't seen before in our kind of scientific record. So there are these different factors like marine heat waves and El Nino and lots of sea urchins grazing on kelp that add up. And that's what makes it harder for the kelp to recover than if there was just a smaller, isolated, warm event. Yes, exactly. Why should we be talking about the impact of marine heat waves on kelp forests? Why is it an important issue to to understand and make people more aware of? If we think about forests on land, if we lost forests throughout California, people would be very concerned about it. And we'd be talking about it a lot and there'd be investment in it. So we need to start thinking about marine forests in a similar way, at places that are important in terms of biodiversity and marine life, are important to us, deserve attention and investments. Now we need to mobilize. It's striking that what makes total sense now on land doesn't quite transfer in marine system, but basically that is the situation that we're facing. We have lost forests, marine forests in this case, and it's really uh, imperative that we learn more about the underlying causes and what can be done about it. We're not seeing the recovery of kelp forests that we would expect just based on their life histories. This is due to the additional pressures uh, to increase frequency and extent, of heat waves potentially going forward. So we're faced with a scenario potentially going forward where this resilience of kelp forest is no longer supported. And then you know that this system may in fact be vulnerable and at risk, just like forest on land or coral reef ecosystems. It's very hard to predict future trends, but climate change scenarios project increased frequency of these extreme events. Overfishing and disease affecting predators in the ocean has been linked to the proliferation of sea urchins and pathogens and other additional stressors. And so we are perhaps facing a situation where everything that affects kelp negatively and prevents its recovery might be ramping up in the future. It definitely sounds like all these stressors that kelp forests are facing are something that really needs to be getting more attention. I agreed with what Dr. McKelly said about forests on land, that if we were losing a lot of terrestrial forests, people would notice and be talking about it. But because kelp forests aren't as clearly visible to most people, there's not always the same awareness about the threats that they're facing. Especially now with all these stressors kelp forests are facing, it's even more important to find ways to protect them. We talked about biodiversity earlier and how many different types of organisms kelp forests support. So caring for these ecosystems really means protecting all these organisms. And it's important for humans too, because of all the benefits of kelp forests for us, from fisheries and tourism and coastal protection and carbon sequestration.
In thinking about protection and solutions, we asked both of our guests what we can do going forward to continue deepening our understanding of marine heat waves and protect kelp forests from this threat. Since marine heat wave events are becoming more frequent and more intense over the years, what can we do to better protect our ecosystems and environment against these heat waves? So we, we can see from the observations that these marine heat waves are becoming more frequent. And that's having a consequence on our ecosystems. I think that now is the time that we start to work together to understand why they are occurring and when and where will they happen next. And also to understand how they will change into the future because that is the information that aquaculture industries, fisheries, and marine managers, they need to know that in planning for the future. So now is really the time that we have this community effort to get together to understand how we can use the observations and then models and even forecast models to improve our predictions of marine heat waves and develop early warning systems to help managers and industries. So from the physical side of the ocean, we must better understand marine heat waves since this topic is a relatively new field. By better understanding how marine heat waves work, we can learn how to protect and prevent damage and side effects in the future. How about from the biological side? How can we focus on keeping kelp forests safe from marine heat waves? So there's several actions that we can take immediately. And in fact, the state of California and other states on the West Coast are, are beginning to undertake. So the first uh, point is really to learn more. What, what is happening? What is driving these changes? You know, so it's, for example, oceanographic information on what are the coastal conditions where kelp can thrive or conversely is lost are really important. And so more, more distributed and localized information on what is happening throughout the California current, in addition to places that are really intensively studied, like Monterey Bay, where I'm based, there's a lot of science going on, but having that understanding throughout the region, it's very important. So the first is science and monitoring, research and monitoring. Also, uh, there's I think an opportunity and need to identify potential uh, refuges for kelp. Where are conditions benign and where are some climate refuges where we can invest in conservation, conserving source populations for recovery, restoration projects. So understanding some of the variability in conditions and local refugia and leverage those for conservation and uh, restoration. There's also a need to better understand what kind of direct intervention might remove some of these additional pressures. For example, there's some really interesting projects that are developing on uh, developing fisheries for sea urchins, the species that affect kelp forests the most. And so combining the potential of economic benefits with the means of controlling these populations in the absence of their predators. And also the potential of identifying, of learning more about genetic resistance to climate. The you know, science also points to variable vulnerability of different kelp populations along the California current to heat waves. And so learning more about that and then leveraging that, for example, for restoration of kelps, transplanting, outplanting 
resistant strains, popular and resistant variety of kelps that could also be. So I think in le uh, learning and then uh, managing and actually in some cases active restoration and a combination of these approaches is the most likely uh, possibility, opportunity for addressing this problem going forward. And as scientists, we can't do this alone. We really need that community effort from science, industries to policymakers to recognize that these are threats that we are facing as a society and we need to come up with solutions to address them. So overall summary, Marine heat waves are not a new phenomenon, but our awareness of them is making a hot new debut in the ongoing conversation about climate change and its impact on the ocean. And this marine heat wave, along with other factors, is putting pressure on the kelp forest and their health. One thing that stood out to me from both of our guests' comments was the importance of having different approaches to protection coming together. They both talked about the need to learn more about marine heat waves and other threats facing kelp forests and about what make kelp forests resilient. Right, because we need to know what's happening in these ecosystems and how they're in danger to be able to protect them. And there's also the potential role of active restoration efforts like developing urchin fisheries or transplanting genetically resilient kelp varieties. Like Jessica said, it takes a community effort to address these threats. We need policymakers, scientists, industry professionals, and individuals like you to unite to protect these beautiful, majestic ecosystems. Thank you for listening to the Stanford SciCast. This has been Aaron and May. And we would like to thank our guests for giving us their time and efforts to help us understand the complex topics of marine heat waves and the kelp forest ecosystem. And remember, just keep learning. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. What do we do? We swim, swim. <laughs>